Just for clarity's sake, the name of the Lord is Jesus. That's who we're blessing this morning, Jesus. Just make sure who we identify who the Lord is. It is Jesus the Christ. We have been, again, working on the series. Can I have my notes, please? Uh, Shepherds and wolves, we've been dealing with a particular sneaky wolf, the wolf we've been described as the silent wolf. Uh, We've been basing it on some passages from Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, where it says, there we go, all right, we're good to go. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I think this is a very timely sermon series, maybe one of the most timely I've ever preached, quite honestly. I think uh, the wolves have been infiltrating our ranks for decades now and will only arm the increase. And so we need to be very careful about those wolves. The Bible tells us to beware of them. They're out there. Paul, uh, we've been working through a passage in Acts chapter 20. Um, where Paul is talking about what it is to be a good shepherd, but he's also giving a warning about the wolves to come. And so we've been trying to just identify the wolves uh, so that we can be aware, so that we can pay attention to what's going on. The the silent wolf is what we're talking about. Um, And the definition of that are teachers who make omissions in their in clear biblical teaching, like the one I referenced in this, this interview I saw where he talks about, he was questioning, you know, I don't ever hear you talk about sin, and, and the pastor readily admitted, yeah, I don't talk about that. You know, I, I tend to focus on love and positivity, and, and, you know, I want people to feel good about themselves and, and have positive outlooks and, and live, you know, a good life here on earth. And, and so he doesn't focus on sin except for when he's questioned about it. And so he, he's kind of openly making, there's omissions to the things that the Bible talk about that I don't even preach. And I, I think that's pretty dangerous. Um, I want you to look at this passage from uh, Acts chapter 20, verses 26 and 27. This is, this is right before uh, Paul makes the warning about wolves that are going to follow him. He says, therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. Just kind of think about what this passage is implying. Paul is saying, I'm innocent. That there, he recognizes that there's people who have made choices contrary to his teaching. That there are people who've rejected what he said about Jesus. They've rejected what he said about the Bible. And he's, they've rejected on how he's told them to live a, a God-honoring and God-pleasing life. But then he goes, look, I'm innocent. They, they've made their choice, but I'm innocent because I didn't withhold telling them anything. I gave them the sweet and I gave them the vinegar. He gave them the whole counsel of God, the stuff that's easy and enjoyable to take. You know, God loves you and, and God's for you and he's never going to leave you or forsake you and, and, you know, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added onto you. He told him all that and he said, oh yeah, and love your enemies, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Jesus, expect to suffer in this world. Oh, repent and turn from your sins. So he gave him all that too. And he said, so I'm innocent of their blood. I'm innocent before when they stand before God and give an account for their lives. What I think this implies is that those who don't teach all of what God says are, 
aren't innocent of their blood and are actually leading people to their death, to their, to their spiritual death. That if, if you're not giving all that God's given, if you're making omissions in the clear teaching of the Bible, then you are mistreating people. You're, you're leading them to spiritual death. You're, you're securing them in their sins, which is tragedy. So we talked about some of the omissions. This isn't an exhaustive list. There's probably other things that these guys omit, but, but you know, we talked about the first uh, omission they made was the, the omission to repentance. And so when you, when you omit talking about repentance, you don't have to talk about sin. You don't have to talk about the wrath of God, the fear of God. You don't have to talk about the sovereignty of God. You know, why is something a sin? Because I am said it is. Uh, I, I thought of another one that even goes along with that. When we don't repent, when we don't talk about repentance, we don't have to talk about conviction. We don't encourage people to, to pray for conviction on their lives, which is one of the, the works of the Holy Spirit. There was the, Jesus said the Holy Spirit's coming to convict you <laughs> of righteousness and, and of, of judgment and of sin. <laughs> that This is the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we don't talk about repentance, there's no need to ask people to ask the Spirit to convict them of anything. And so they don't have to, we can sidestep that issue. The second omission we talked about was suffering, that suffering is not just a part of this world, it's definitely a part of the Christian's life. And really, the more this world becomes ungodly, the more we're going to suffer. And we just have to accept that and be part of that and, and, and even embrace that. We have, a, we have a title that I'll refer to again that Jesus is often referred to as the suffering servant, right? And if we're following Jesus, if we're going to be like Jesus, who was the suffering servant, how do we figure out we get out of the servant or the suffering part? Um, and so that's the second omission. Today we're going to look at the third omission that I see constant, uh, often uh, omitted from these, these wolves' teaching, and that is the, the teaching of sacrifice. Sacrifice. Let me give you some definitions, some words that we work with here. Hedonism. Hedonism is the doctrine that pleasure or happiness is the highest good. That the, the, the reason you want to live is to have your every pleasure, have your every happiness, your every desire met. It's a pagan idea. It's really a form of idolatry. Where, where self, where be, uh, self being, uh, with self being the, the main idol. Hedonism is whatever self wants, self should have, right? Uh, we probably think about this in our pictures of like in the Roman first century orgies and, uh, and gluttony and, and, and those guys just indulged every desire that they have. But I'll tell you, the world in which you and I now live has begun to embrace hedonism as its paradigm for living. That, that, that what you want, you should have. And, 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 and it's just become a mark of our society that, that everybody lives just for fun and having a good time and, and getting, getting their desires and their pleasures and their happiness met. The problem is this idea of hedonism has leaked into the church over the years, and I think it's probably been brought on by the wolves that have infiltrated our ranks, and it's formed a new definition, a new word that I'm going to introduce you to, Christian hedonism. Christian hedonism, as I will define it, and since I'm making it up, I can define it how I want to, the belief that a relationship with God is the means to having your every desire and pleasure met. 
See, we take hedonism, the pagan thing, we baptize it a little bit, and we come out with Christian hedonism on the other side, where it's still about me getting all my pleasures and all my desires and all my wants met. It's just now I use God as my means to accomplish that. It's God needs to be my, he's come to, so that I can have life and have it abundant. And my definition of life and abundant life is everything I want. And that's what God's there for, to give me my wants. It's often said this way, doesn't God want me to be happy? Or, you know, I, I think God wants me to be happy. God's main desire is for me to be happy. That, that God's ultimate desire is to make us happy. My argument is I never see anywhere in Scripture really where God wants us to be happy, but He does want us to be holy. And, and, and to be holy is what God teaches us more than about being happy. He wants us to have joy, but joy and happiness are different. And if you don't understand the difference in that, we can go down that rabbit trail in my office sometime. Come see me. So we've brought into this new idea of Christian hedonism, and I think the wolves have brought this on full force in our churches. Both hedonism, the pagan form, and Christian hedonism, our baptized form, both reject or jettison the idea of sacrifice. Here's the definition for sacrifice. The voluntary surrender of one's desires, rights, assets, possessions, or well-being. To give up something from myself? Well, where did that come from? That's a crazy idea. Don't you know I should have everything I want? And me to deny myself, me to give up something, me to voluntarily surrender something for some other reason, that's just crazy. Hedonism and Christian hedonism re both reject the idea of sacrifice. But the problem is when we look at the whole counsel of God, when we take the sweet and we take the vinegar, sacrifice is instrumental to being a disciple. You cannot be a disciple of Jesus Christ and not at the same time embrace the idea of sacrifice. Voluntarily giving up from yourself. So what I want to talk to you today is three core or heart issues that require sacrifice from a Jesus follower. And if people aren't teaching Jesus followers, you've got to give up stuff, that you've got to sacrifice, they're not teaching the whole counsel of God. So let's look at these three core issues that the Bible teaches us that, that require sacrifice. First of all, self-denial. Self-denial. Sacrifice and self-denial I mean, really, they're opposite sides of the exact same coin. They might be the same side of the same coin. Self-denial is the heart of discipleship. You cannot be a disciple unless you're willing to deny yourself. And the Bible says it. Jesus himself says it. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24, Then Jesus told his disciples, If... Anyone would come after me, that's follow me, that's be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In other, in other versions it says he must deny himself, that, that you can't be my disciple unless you're willing to deny yourself. Self-denial is at its heart the first step. To being a disciple to, to intentionally surrender your self-interest 
Denial of self is essential. It's a must for following Jesus. There may be, and really this idea of self-denial, this may be that mark that I've often looked for. This may be that, that line of demarcation between people who say, I believe in Jesus, and people who say, I follow Jesus. It's that self-denial may be the dividing line between people who just say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Well, what do you do about following him? Well, I don't follow. I don't give up anything. I don't deny myself anything. That might be the mark because it seems to be the mark that the disciples made. When Jesus called his first disciples, right? He says, hey, y'all follow me. And they immediately get up and they leave their boat and their job and their family and they follow him. They deny themselves of everything that they ever worked for, had, dreamed of to follow Christ. And so self-denial might be that very first step. Just think about the idea. Jesus teaches in a parable, a couple of parables in Matthew chapter 13. He tells a parable about a hidden treasure and he tells a parable about the pearl of great price. And, and then this is the, the, the hidden treasure in the field. It says, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy the field where the treasure's at. He gave up everything to have Christ. That, that at our heart, we're called to live in self-denial. I mean, if we don't deny ourselves, how are we going to do the things Jesus taught? He taught us to forgive. <laughs> how, how do you forgive someone without denying yourself your right to be angry? Or, or we're told to love our enemies. I mean, you gotta, well, I, you mean I can't hold my grudge anymore? I gotta deny myself that to love my enemies or, or to live at peace with people or the golden rule, right? Uh, treat others as you would be treated, not as they have treated you, right? That's denying yourself, doing good for them. The Bible tells us to, to um, bear one another's burdens. That we as followers are so to care for one another and bear. And if one weeps, we all weep. If one rejoices, we all rejoice. That, that it's not about us. It's about our, our family, our congregation. Those who, who break the bread and drink the cup with us is more important than we are. We're instructed to make other people's preferences more important than our own preferences. That's self-denial. Give others that preference to think more highly of them. The story of the Good Samaritan, one that we hold up, that's all about self-denial. The, the man walks across him, takes him, puts him on his donkey, leads him to a house, pays the innkeeper to take care of him and says, if that's not enough, when I come back, I'll settle up with you more. Self-denial is crucial to being a Jesus follower. And it's based on the idea of sacrifice. Second core issue, love. Love. Love is the heart of God. And here's a definition I'll use for love. Doing what is best for another, usually at personal loss. Doing what is best for another, usually at personal loss. Now, love is a theme that we love to hold on to as Christians. But what we don't realize is that love, Christian love, is about sacrifice. It, you know, the world today uses love in all kinds of crazy ways. Love is central to the Christian message. Uh, even in 1 John 4, 8, it says, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love, right? And so love is, is central to our message. And the world thinks of love more as like, you know, I'm kind of physically attracted to you. 
you know, or, or, or I, I want to have a love relationship so somebody can meet all my needs and who can take care of me emotionally and who'll provide for me and I won't be alone. And, and, but love at its heart is sacrificial. What I want you to see is how important love is. If, if love is so central to the Christian message and it's so tied up with sacrifice, I just want you to see that sacrifice is the foundation of love. It's really that self-denial again, that the, the giving up of yourself for someone else's best. Ephesians chapter 5, 1 and 2 said it this way, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. That, that the Christian mandate of love is to love as Christ loved us. And what's the word? Gave himself up. Sacrifice. That our goal, the day we sign up and say, I'm going to follow Jesus, our ultimate goal is to see if we can get to the place where we deny ourselves completely for other people's benefits. That, that's, that's what our mark is. If you want to know if you have arrived in following Jesus, well, how much self-denial, how much sacrifice are you making for others? Are, are you really willing to die for others? I mean, that's our mark. That's our goal. That's what we're trying to do is live a life of continual sacrifice. Jesus didn't just die, didn't just sacrifice himself on the cross. Ultimately, he did that. But he was sacrificial all the time. When people had a need, he was there to meet it. When he was tired and people came calling, he was there to talk to them. He, he stayed up late for them. He was traveling around the country. He would endure their abuse. He, he just was constantly thinking about others and thinking about others and thinking about others. That's why he's our leader and that's our mark. That's what we're aiming for. Think about this. John 3.16 For God so loved the world He gave. Love the world He gave. You can't have love if you don't have the giving. If you don't have the sacrifice. And so our command is to love as God loved us. Sacrifice is not only the foundation of love, sacrifice is the gauge of love. You want to know how much you love somebody? <laughs> or you want to know how, so much, how much somebody loves you? Well, you got a gauge. And the gauge is sacrifice. Here's how the Bible says it. This is my commandment that you love one another. This is from John 15. I have loved as I have loved you. So he's reiterating what we just said. Love as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay his life down for his friends. So the ultimate goal, the ultimate love is to die for someone. But I want you to think about it as a continuum. You know, you know if, if that's this end of it, if that's the high end of love, well, what's the low end of love? You know, I'll give somebody my cold water on a hot day. <laughs> you know, am I willing to give up cold water to somebody on a hot day? Well, that might be the other end of that continuum, right? You know, and somewhere in between those, we determine how much we love people or how much we're loved by people by how much sacrifice they make. 
parents are more aware of this than, than a lot of people because only they know what they gave up <laughs> to provide for their kids because they love them and take care of them. Love is this continuum. This is the ultimate goal. And, and so where, where do you fall out on love with people? How much do you love your family? I, I bet you're down here on this end, right? You know, towards this, I'd take a bullet from some of my family. There's some uncles right here. You know, how about, how about your friends? How about your acquaintances? Where, what sacrifice do you make for them? How about your colleagues, those people who you work with? How, how, how sacrificial or loving are you to them? How about your neighbors? <laughs> you know, how loving and much sacrifice are you making for them? Or you putting up one of them privacy fences so that they don't get over on your grass? It's interesting we think about that and we we think about this great love and we do have great love for our family and those who are closest to us those who mean the most to us and we probably move down the continuum a little bit uh, uh, as we move away from those that we hold dear but the scriptures teach us something terribly hard to understand this is from Luke's gospel the sixth chapter says if you love those who love you what benefit is that to you? Or even, for even sinners love those who love them. So if we only have this really deep sacrificial love for those who love us back, for those who are our family, for those who we're closer to, how are we any different than the sinners? That's what the Bible's saying. The implication is you're not. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those who you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. Verse 35. But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great. And you will see the sons of the Most High be kind to the ungrateful and the evil. We're supposed to be down here with everybody. With the evil. With the sinners with those who we would consider our enemies. You know, think about, we talked about how you feel about your family and your friends and your acquaintances and your, and your colleagues and your neighbors. How do you feel, where, where would non-believers fall on your continuum of love? Where would people of other faiths, non-Christian faiths, who may even be opposed to Christianity or don't believe in God at all, where are they going to fall off on the continuum of sacrifice? Where, what about... Uh, those people, we all have those people, and we, those might be different from person to person, but we all got those people that just grind on us, irritate us, and we don't want to be around, that we kind of just leaves a <laughs> taste in our mouth a little bit. You ready to die for them? I mean, that's Christian love. What about your enemies? I just want to remind you that we've been instructed twice to love as we've been loved. And Romans 5, 8 tells us, but God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were enemies of God, when we were pagan, when we were in rebellion against God, when we would thumb our nose at him and reject him in every personal way, God's love was way down here on the complete 
sacrifice end of the scale. And we're encouraged to live in this world with that same kind of idea. Give up all that you have for those who aren't here. Give up all that you care about for them. Finally, when it comes to love, sacrifice is the opposite of worldly love. Sacrifice is what makes Christian love different than the love defined by the world in which we live in, secular love. 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's hedonism right there, by the way. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of life. That's worldly love. Hedonism is not from the Father, but it's from the world. So we're not to love the world. We're not to love as the world loves. We're not to be partakers in, the, in the, this world's love, but we're supposed to be taking part in the heavenly love, the love of the Father, agape love, Christian love, which is all about self-denial. I, I want to address just one quick falsehood that this world teaches. It's become popular, at least in my lifetime, popular in, in, in kind of secular psychology and, and, and so forth. And that's the idea of you can't love yourself until, or you can't love others until you, there you go. Y'all have all heard it, and especially since I messed it up. That's not Christian love. You can't love yourself until you don't. You can't love others until you stop loving yourself. It's really Christian love. And this whole idea of you can't love others till you love yourself and, and, and take care of yourself and look out for yourself is contrary to the Scriptures. The, the, the Scriptures teach us that the greatest two commandments are to love God and to love others. Notice who's missing in those two. You. It's hard to love God or love others when you're too busy loving yourself. That's why self-denial is the first step of being a disciple. But our world has replaced those two great commandments with their own worldly commandments, which love yourself first and then love only those who love you also. And that if anyone doesn't, isn't crazy about you, just write them off. So love yourself and love only those who will love you too. That's the new greatest commandments that have replaced our teaching. Here's the problem with that. Here's what we don't realize. When we teach people to think of themselves first, to love themselves first, when we teach them to think about their own desires, here's the problem. When self-love becomes the priority, it sets you at odds with everyone else. If, if my job is just to love me and to fulfill my needs and to take care of my wants and make my desires, all of you people are just competition. And if you don't agree with me, now we've got problems because we exist to make me happy. This is the world revolves around me. And when we focus so much on ourselves, it tears down all other relationships because everybody else then becomes competition for your fulfillment or either they're pawns in your fulfillment that you're trying to use to bring about your fulfillment. And so this whole idea of you can't love others till you love yourself actually makes it so that nobody loves anybody. 
And that everybody is looking for themselves. Because it's a, it's a love devoid of Christian love. It's of God's love, which is self-sacrifice. Self-denial. The giving up of yourself for someone else's good. Third core issue. So, so it's crucial to discipleship in the self-denial. It's crucial to the Christian message, the heart of God, which is love. And then service. The third issue is service. That sacrifice and service go hand in hand. You can't serve unless you sacrifice. Service and service is the heart of the church. This is why we exist as a church. Our main job is to go and serve, not be served. Matthew 20, 26 through 28. It shall be... Jesus, this is, a, let me give you a little quick where this blurb comes from. James and John, mother just came to Jesus and said, hey, remember my boys, can one sit on your right hand, one sit on your left hand, and, and the disciples find out what's going on, and they're a little indignant with their brothers about trying to get the best seats in the, at Jesus' table. And Jesus comes in, and this is what he says, it shall not be so among you, this, this fighting for position, this, this popularity, this who gets to sit and who gets to serve. It, shan't, it won't be this way among you. It won't be this way among us against Jesus, for Jesus' followers. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever will be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man, that's Jesus. That's Jesus' favorite name for himself is the Son of Man. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Service is the heart of the church. It is why we exist to serve others. Even Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, this says, it says, And he gave some apostles and the prophets and some evangelists and some shepherds and some teachers. Why? To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. That part of what we're supposed to be doing here is equipping you to go out and serve. This is our main function. And, and, and we've turned it all around in too many places. And the wolves who, who emit this teaching of sacrifice have turned it in. Come here so we can serve you. Oh, what do you want? Oh, what do you want? Oh, what do you want? We're just going to try to give you all what you want. And we, we got the best programs. And we got a gym. And you can, you know, you can do some Pilates downstairs. And we're just going to look. And, we, and people show up to be served. I can't tell you how many times in the last decade I've had people. So tell me, Pastor, I've been checking out your church. What do you have to offer us? Tell me, what, what, what are you going to provide? Because I'm talking to another church down the road, and they got a little bit better deal. You know, people shop churches like we shop for cars. All right, they call this dealership, that dealership, that dealership, and they start pitting them against one another. Well, I got to, you know, I can say $500 if I drive down there and get it. Like, you you want to meet that? Because we come to be served more than we come to serve. Because we've sacrificed, we, we've omitted the teaching of sacrifice. And service and sacrifice go hand in hand. I will tell you this statement. The church is supposed to exist for those outside its walls as much as it does for those who congregate inside its walls. 
and I'd add maybe even more. That our existence is supposed to be more about them on those side of the walls than us on this side of the wall. But, and that requires real sacrifice. And then we, but they don't pay the bills. They don't contribute anything. They don't even show up on Sunday and we're going to live for them. That's exactly what Jesus did. If you remember our story this reading this morning, right? The Pharisees are all gathered around. And here comes this woman full of sin, wiping the master's tear, feet with her tears and her hair and honoring him. And all the religious people were upset. He keeps messing with those people out there. Yeah, that's what we're supposed to do. As my friend Jody says, go is two-thirds of God. That's why it's go make disciples. We're here to get equipped to go out there and serve a world that may not even know what they're missing and what they need. So how can I be so sure that sacrifice is such a big part of the Christian life? How can I be confident in that sacrifice should be one of the main things that define a Christian? I encourage you to take this little cup and this little bread and understand that communion shows us the sacrifice of God. Don't know, we're going to give you a chance to move forward here, but I want to move towards this. Communion shows the sacrifice of God, motivated by the love of God, delivered by the suffering servant, Jesus, the Son of God. Now, I've preached for a couple of weeks now on things that have been left out in our teaching. The first one was repentance, and as I talked about conviction today, I think it's very important before we go and observe the communion that we have a chance to ask the Spirit to come and convict us. That we say, God, you suffered and you sacrificed so that I might have life. The least I can do is take some time and reflect. Do I need to repent? What do I need to repent of? Lord, bring your conviction upon my life. Restill unto me the fear of the Lord because of the, fa- of, because of the wrath of God so that I can turn away from my sin and walk as you would have me to walk in a relationship with you. I'm going to ask Elaine to come. She's going to play us some songs. We're going to have a couple of minutes. I want to just open this up to a time of prayer. You can come down front if you want to. I'll move the podium so that you can see this do in remembrance of me and the cross. If you're at home at the digital campus, I'd encourage you, get off the sofa. Turn around and kneel before it or, 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 or somehow make some kind of, of gesture. Here's, here's something I realized a long time ago. Our spirit controls our physical bodies. And what I mean by that is when you're sad, you look down. When you're happy, when you're, just, when you're stressed out, you can see your shoulders slow. That what's going on within our spirit often manifests itself in how we project ourselves physically. I believe the same happens in reverse. 
That when we do things physically, we can guide our spirit. And so that's why bowing your head sometimes leads your spirit into a reverence. Or, or taking a chance to take a knee somewhere brings your spirit into a moment of reverence. Or, or maybe you just think about, hey, I'm walking into the throne of grace. I'm going to be before God for a minute. I got a feeling maybe just standing up where you're at and praying standing. Would, would help you focus on, you know, if God walked in today, I think we'd all probably jump to our feet right quick, right? And so I, I just want to encourage you to, to think about in these moments of reflective prayer, to, to ask the Lord to bring conviction upon your life, that you want to repent, you want to appreciate what He did for you. And so we'll take a few minutes uh, for you here and there, and uh, then we'll, we're going to do something else after our prayer time. First John 1 9 one of the very first Bible verses I learned says if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all righteousness before we take communion I'm going to ask God to come lead us in a song of praise a song of honor and a song of amazement and love at what God did for us
Stand with me as we sing. Uh, we're going to sing Amazing Grace as a response to this prayer. Sacrifice is the core of the Christian message. You hold in your hands a symbol of God's broken body for you. That's what it says in Romans chapter, chapter 5, verse 8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. Likewise, sacrifice is the life of the Jesus follower. From John chapter 13, when he'd washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and so you're right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet or sacrificed myself for you, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than him who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. <laughs> 